The Unconventional Therapist's Guide to Nothing. We are the unconventional therapists, and this is your guide to nothing, where each and every week we take a topic, theme, or thing, overanalyze it, and make it all make sense in the scheme of life, living, and mental health. My name is Dave, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Greg. And Greg, let these people, these fine people, have an idea of what we're going to be talking about. I can do that, Dave. Let me say that we talk about a lot of scary topics on this podcast. Isn't that true? But today... The scariest. This well, listen. We you you would think, but today we'll be talking about a subject that for some people causes paralyzing fear. Stop in your place. I think I'm going to die. Fear, and of course, Dave, we are talking about panic attacks. Yes, panic attacks are one of the leading causes of people to go to the emergency room. Mm, I bet heart attacks, right? So, wh- what are what are these things? It's 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 a sudden episode of intense fear, and it you know in our in our language it activates your sympathetic nervous system, you know known what most people know as your fight or flight response, and it feels like you're losing control. If some people feel like you're having a heart attack. That's why when you bring up the leading cause of emergency room visits, but you're not. You're not dying. And 100% of the time, a panic attack will not kill you. And that's an so important you, piece of information. You, just, you mentioned how it uh, impacts the sympathetic nerve system, which ties mm-hmm. into the fight or flight. It doesn't just impact it. It like hits it to its max. Mm-hmm. To the point where once the panic attack is over, a person could leave that panic attack feeling exhausted. Because all the blood's flowing. This is that, you know, that part of us that's just all about survival. Mm -hmm. So it is kicking in as if we're trying to, you know, survive some incredible danger. Right. And I'm going to talk about like why that is. And maybe at the end of this, we'll be able to help people understand why they're not dangerous, even though they feel incredibly dangerous and what you can do to kind of get over them. But, you know, honestly, having a panic attack, it's really scary. They're unexpected. They occur over and over. And it can leave you in a place where you feel like you're afraid that you're going to have another panic attack. I, I really feel for people with, that suffer from these. I mean, Dave, have you had a panic attack? I, uh, you know, I thought that I had. I don't know. I, I tend to downplay anything that I, f- I feel like I've had. And I don't think it was as intense as some of these things. I've definitely had, maybe it was like an anxiety attack or uh, just a bout of like extreme anxiety. I don't think I've actually had a panic attack. Yeah. I suppose, I guess, you know, if you would, cause it, it almost does induce the fear to the point where like you, you think you're having a heart attack and you're going to die. And then you become the kind of person or it, it, the pathology of it makes you feel like you're going to have these things over and over again, and you become afraid of the panic itself. And that can kind of create these agoraphobia or, you know, panic disorder where you're, you're just afraid of panic. I think it's important for you to um, maybe go through and kind of mention some of these symptoms. Yeah. So this is what you would commonly experience, I guess, if you are having a panic attack, as I mentioned, there's about 13 of these. So uh, accelerated heart rate, would be the first thing. Uh, breathing becomes more shallow or you're hyperventilating. 
uh, sweating, your pulse rate increases, trembling and shaking, uh, feel like you're choking or like something's obstructing uh, your breathing, nausea or abdominal distress, uh, dizziness or unsteadiness, lightheadedness, uh, chills or heat sensations, chest pains or chest discomfort, uh, tingling sensations is a specific word for it, but it's escaping me at this moment. Derealization or depersonalization, uh, fear of losing control or going crazy. And then the last one being a uh, fear of dying. Yeah. But, you know, describing all of those totally make, makes sense why people would want to go to the ER immediately. Even though all those things that you just named, none of them are dangerous and they are all responses that our body has to um, some kind of threat. Like even sweating, it's just trying to get you all slick so you can like slip away from that anyway. Right, right. And that, that, that tingling sensation you're talking about, that's so primitive that it's like making our hair stand up to make us appear larger. That's how animalistic that is. These are all things that if you look at the, the your, your increased heart rate, the shortness of breath, this is trying to get more oxygen to, to your body so that you can run. I mean, it's all these things are based on your body sensing some kind of fear. And what makes panic attacks so scary is you don't see that fear. That fear is, it, there's nothing there for you to really be freaking out about. Did you know that I'm uh, 5'11", but when I have a panic attack, my hair sticks up, so I'm over six feet tall? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did know that. It's and a survival I'm, technique. I just get wider. <laughs> <laughs> I, my hair just makes me like kind of round. It's all, it's all about survival, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's intimidating too. Let's talk about some, like some causes and some risk factors, if you would like. Sure. You know, it could be genetic in, on some level. I, and, and when I say genetic, I don't mean like, oh no, you have this propensity for this thing, but it's honestly, it's like, it's like you're more evolved for safety than a lot of people. I mean, that's a better way of saying like you're sensitive to negative emotions. It's, it's about your relationship with your thoughts and your connection to the way your body feels, your physiology. Um, is Wait, you it, asked me if I had a panic attack before. Have yeah. you? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. Talk about it. Okay. Well, I wasn't expecting to, but do you want to know? And if I'm going to be completely honest, it's, I did end up in the hospital. Because I thought I was having a heart attack. I would have yeah. bet a million dollars I was having a heart attack. And how many, how many panic attacks have you had? I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you. I, I had, you know, I've had a good amount of panic attacks. And when I, the first time I had a panic attack, I had just gotten out of the Navy and I did not know what it was at all. I had never even heard the language, you know, panic attack, whatever. I, I went there and I left with a prescription that I know now was Xanax. And I did, I, I was so kind of, I wouldn't say addicted, but I wouldn't leave the house if they were in my pocket. If, if I, they weren't in my pocket and I left the house, I would have a panic attack. I would be sure yeah. that another one of these things were, were gonna, was going to be induced and I was going to have these, this little medicine to take care of it. And that's why now I'm very much against the idea of, of taking anything to stop these things. Well, and that in some ways is a very important part of this. So I'm glad you just said that because that would almost connect into this idea, which is a big theme here about avoidance. A hundred percent. 
You know, and, when, you know, no, in my own like experience with um, having to take the medication, I'll tell you exactly what it was like. I would be having a panic attack, right? And it, it, think about it like a movie. I would take the Xanax, it would pause the movie. And then when the Xanax wore off, I was at the really, a really terrifying part of the movie and I felt it and I would take the Xanax and that would pause the movie and it would stop the movie and I wouldn't be afraid of anything. Then when the Xanax went off, it's like someone pressed play on the movie. And, it, and I never, back I, to right. Work. And then, and then when it got, when it wore off again, it got scary again. I would, and I never allowed my body the chance to see how the movie ended and to realize that at the end of the movie, I was going to be okay. It's, and, and, you know, uh, the horror movie that first day, that's going to scare the shit out of you and over and over again. But if you watch it over and over and then you watch it on Tuesday at, at three o'clock in the afternoon, it just doesn't have the same effect, but you never allowed it. Yeah. You never allowed your body to understand that this ends, this gets really bad and it ends, which I think is incredibly important. So there's this concept that I've, I've was listening to uh, recently about people who go overboard trying to figure out their triggers. Mm. And this person was, who's sort of an expert on panic attacks was saying, that's actually the worst thing you can do. And it's mm. so interesting because that's the opposite of everything that we are ingrained to know to be helpful. Like the first thing I tell people is let's try to identify those triggers. What is it that's causing this issue? But what he was explaining, and I thought this was so genius for this specific thing, is if we're constantly trying to identify our triggers, we could drive ourselves absolutely crazy thinking about like, well, what, what did I eat? What was it that I saw? What was I thinking? And then we're almost creating this fear of panic. Yeah. Because we're so afraid of these things. And then it kind of feeds into that avoidance thing. It's like, well, I guess I can never do that. Because every time I do that, I'm going to have a panic attack. And one thing we know, Greg, is, and I'm sure you're going to get want to get to this. The opposite is, is true about panic attacks, correct? We want to actually face the thing. The only cure to panic attacks is more panic attacks. Unfortunately, yeah. The only cure to panic attacks is having more panic attacks. So Dave, panic attacks are difficult because we can't really understand where they're coming from. Like if you, if someone brought out a, a weapon or you were being chased by a rabid dog or something like that, you would react naturally and all these things would feel completely normal. It's when the dog isn't there or the, the threat isn't there and you feel these things that it becomes really scary. Now, what you're saying is, is there, I guess the question I'm trying to reach is, we're, you were talking about finding triggers. And I yeah. think that I think that we don't really need, I think there is always a trigger. That's what I'm saying. But I think the reason why it's not important to look for those is that the unconscious mind, as we know, is so much bigger than the conscious mind. And so your brain is picking up on things all the time that it, it, it perceives as dangerous. So when, it's, when it sees something and it reacts to it, you may not even know what it's seeing. It just, it's decided that that's a danger and now you're having a panic. So when you're having a panic attack, the things you should do is acknowledge that your body's trying to tell you something and react appropriately if you can. So what you're saying goes in line with this thought that I've been having. So when that, when I was learning about not hyper-focusing on the trigger or the thing that induced it in that specific moment, because who knows what it, what it is and who knows what it could be. 
it's more almost like there's it's more of a theme than it is about a specific thing. And if you can maybe under like identify the overarching theme, maybe that would be the thing you need to address. For example, I just recently was talking to someone who has a lot of panic attacks very frequently. And the thing that we noticed is a lot of them, there's like this theme of a fear of death mm. in general, like yeah. not just fears of he's going to die during the panic attack. Cause I actually don't think he thinks he's going to die. He actually is so used to having panic attacks. They're like second nature, but like in general, he has a, just a general fear of death because he's witnessed people die and he's had some pretty close calls himself. So when he has an experience that reminds him of death, or that reminds him of the presence of death or anything like that. I, I feel like that is the onset for his panic attack. But if he were to go around saying like, oh, well, this is the thing that caused me this day. So I should always avoid that. Or, and this is, he'd be constantly looking for things all the time because there's always reminders of death around us. Mm. So it's almost like to tackle that issue in order to address the panic attacks in general. And when he's, when, and I bet you the same person, it, so it's going to, the panic attack is going to have to have some connection with your thoughts. It's going to have to have some kind of connection with your physiology, like the way you, the things you feel in your body and then the way you react. So when, when he feels, maybe he feels something in his chest and that's going to make him think of death. And yes. it could be just like he has to burp or he's got indigestion or something like that. But I, I, I remember that being a part of it for me. Like I would feel something in my body, maybe like a bubble in my chest and be like, oh, is that, is that my heart? Like folding over or something. And then you start to, you're, you start to getting your thoughts and then you get out of breath and you're like, Oh my God, am, am I having a heart attack? I'm out of breath. I have all these same symptoms. Yeah. And then it, it makes you terrified, but it's, they're never dangerous. I can't, I'm not gonna be able to say that enough times, but they're, but they're never dangerous unless, unless you never address them because there are some dangers associated with panic attacks, but those are more along the lines of like finding different ways to treat them. Like, you know, obviously alcohol, yeah. Avoidance. Kind of, uh, yeah. Any kind of avo- maladaptive avoidance technique, like you said, substance abuse. But also I'd imagine the panic attacks take a toll on the body over time. Yeah, well, all the, the high cortisol levels and, you know, uh, of course, right? Being stressed out all the time. But that's, you know, it's going to affect sleep. It'll affect your diet. It's going to affect your finances because you're probably having problems at work and school, whatever. It's going to affect your thoughts. You're going to, maybe you'll have suicidal thoughts because- you're always, you're, you, who wants to live in a state of panic all the time and fear of panic? I mean, fear of leaving your house or fear of dying. I mean, that's scary. That's no way to live. It's really hard. So embarrassment is a thing that people experience too, which also leads to avoidance. And I want to ask you, is that something that you experienced? Were you embarrassed of your panic attacks? Or I never told that. Yeah, was, of course. Like, I mean, though my core beliefs and my panic attacks did not go hand in hand. Like I had yeah. this I was, I was a veteran and I was young and I was, I, everything about me pointed to like, I can't have something like this about myself. You mean dudes with panic attacks don't ooze machismo? <laughs> I, As I, it turns I, out. That goes hand in hand. <laughs> Look, hey, listen, no, nothing's harder or more manly than finally admitting I need some help with this. And when I did, that's, that's what got me into therapy. Like, when getting that education and the, you know, the psychoeducation on what's happening in my body, it's not dangerous and kind of finding out the, the things of, on my own, like understanding the outcome was the most important thing for me. Realizing that 100% of the time that I had a panic attack, I lived through it. 
And it's so scary. And you know what's weird? We've talked about this with Uncanny Valley, but in the Polar Express, there's that moment where like he slams the brakes on the train and the train's skidding out all over control. And you you can imagine everyone on that train is freaking out. Oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? But if you can know the outcome, you know that at the end of this screeching, scary ride that you're going to be just fine, it takes all the power away from it. It almost yeah. become it neutralizes it all. And I have to do that every time I go on a plane. Really? Oh, I planes are, with the history. Planes are terrifying to me. Yeah. I have to remind myself of stats that I've actually made up in my head that planes are more are safer than any other transportation. I have no idea if that's true. I've convinced myself that it must be true. Yeah. And that's the only way I have to focus on how safe planes are. I have to remind myself that like the pilot, these stewardesses are never nervous. They do this all day long. They just take plane rides back and forth and they're never scared. Like that's crazy to me, but like that is the thing I have to remind myself of in order to like not feel panicked out when I'm flying. Well, they're, what they're doing is they're using history. And I tell people that all the time, like use the history to help you feel better. How, like if, if you're talking to stewards in, in the, how many flights have you taken? And how many of those have you crashed and died? Oh, 0%. Okay. So 0% of the time, like this has been a problem. Now, the only thing with planes is there is some real fear there because you are flying around in a metal tube. But I think that like, that's almost, is that almost a rational fear? That's, that feels rational. Yeah. But I'm like flying right next to the sun. Yeah. I'm probably going to well, burn the plane. I don't know if you under, uh, completely understand the science, but it's... <laughs> You're up what in if the, the air. plane You're catches like... on fire because it's too close to the sun. <laughs> yeah. What if we yeah. what if we fly into a star? We just bounce off the clouds because they're made oh, of yeah. So I, I think that I, we've talked a lot about how dangerous and how scary these things can be. Why don't we start taking a look on the bright side? You you mentioned the sun. What are oh, let me say one more thing about what helped me. Ironically. So cigarettes, I was a cigarette smoker at the time. Ew, gross. Everyone's gonna be bummed out by that. And they're a stimulant. We all know that if you know your drug classifications. Ew, gross. You should vape instead. <laughs> yeah, because you'd rather smell like blueberry pancakes than <laughs> Marlboro Reds like a man. And you Anyways. can join a contest to puff <laughs> cool clouds. But the cigarettes did help. They helped a lot. And the reason why, despite them being a stimulant, that should have made them 10 times worse. But the reason they did help is because I slowed my breathing. I calmed yes. down. I took those deep breaths, you know? That's what people don't realize. Oh, my cigarettes calm me down. No, it's the breathing. The breathing. Right, is- right after you let out that big cloud of smoke and you rolled your cigarettes up in your white t-shirt sleeve. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> after you know, walk down the train tracks. If you're doing, if you're smoking properly, you, you are going to do exactly the kind of breathing that is, is important for calming your body down. And what we're going to talk about now are ways to engage. So we, I don't know if we made it clear, but your sympathetic nervous system is basically your fight or flight. Yeah. And that's, that's, we don't need to talk about, you know, the scientific. It's, it's the thing that's getting all your, your body all worked up. It's getting yes. everything moving and running and any reaction you need in order to be fast and strong and, and slick. Like we talked about slick, <laughs> wet. And hairy, all that hair. stuff, yeah, all those <laughs> yeah. things, anything that is it's being triggered by your sympathetic uh nerve system. So you need to tap into that power 
and and well, the thing about parasympathetic the nerve system, right? Parasympathetic, which is like rest and relax, the calming one. But the thing that's important about both of them, especially the sympathetic, more even more than the parasympathetic, is that it's completely automatic. You don't get to be like, let me turn on that sympathetic nervous system because I had to go. It turns itself on. When your body senses, senses danger, it can't ask the logical parts of your brain, hey, is this true? Is this dangerous? It just needs to react. So it gets you out of the way. So that's good. It gets us out of trouble, but it also gets us in some. I heard that if you just press down on your friends uh, on one of their pressure points, it triggers the parasympathetic nerve system and they just completely relax. Well, that's almost kind of true. <laughs> if and you if, think about it, right? Yeah, if you rub the back of your neck, like behind those ears, that's your, your vagus nerve. And if you stimulate that, you can potentially calm yourself down. Um, there's lots of things that you can do when having a panic attack. And I think that maybe now is the time for us to start getting into those. And I have there's, a nice little, go, go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, cause I, I know you like Carl Young so much, CJ. Yeah. Um, he has this great quote, which you've kind of been really pushing on us. It's what you resist will persist. It's a great quote because if you try to resist this thing, if you try to avoid the symptoms of panic, it's just going to come back stronger and stronger and stronger. And it, But if you do the opposite, if you allow that panic to rush in, you're giving your body a chance to realize, oh, this gets bad and then it crests and then it ends. And I think that's what people don't really understand or have a hard time understanding, especially in the moment. There's a, a key phrase here that I'm going to throw out. And we've probably talked about it in our anxiety episode and maybe even our depression episode. But there is some, like a very specific system, I think, that needs to start to happen once you start to feel these symptoms of the panic attack. And it's opposite action. Mm-hmm. So like you were saying from Joe Camel over here, you know, smoking cigarettes to uh-huh. calm yourself down. That's, that's right. exactly the first, like one of the things you really need to do. So we're talking about hyperventilating, hyperventilating being the lack of breathing, right? It's like, or the lack of oxygen. You need to start to breathe. That's the first thing. And you're you know, your heart rate is making you like faster. So you're breathing fast. So the first thing you want to do is start to breathe slow. Mm-hmm. It's almost like getting control of like your body. Slow, yeah. Like it's kind of like trying to like push everything back in reverse, like kind of slow everything down. And it sounds hard when you're having a panic attack. That's why you kind of have to divert your attention from it. Have you heard of this thing with the five senses? Yes. Yep. I mean, that's something that you can do if someone's having a panic attack and you see it. If it's if you can, in the moment, remember to use this it, during a panic attack, God bless you, but it's yeah. difficult. So it's, uh, you know, how do you, what's the first thing you usually do? Five it's things. It's got to be five you things you see, right? Yeah. Five so you look around, you identify five things. Then it's, what is it, four things you hear? Four things maybe you touch. I feel like touch. that's easy. Three things you hear. Two things you smell. smell. And then one thing you taste. And you just start licking things. Oh, boy. <laughs> that one's a dangerous one. Hey, but look, you're by that point, once you're tasting stuff, guess what you're not thinking about? Panic. Now you're thinking about germs. <laughs> yeah. Or jail time. Because you can <laughs> <jail time. laughs> yeah. So, there's, so grounding, there's, grounding is what you're grounding, talking about. Exactly. Even so, pushing your feet into the ground, like feeling that, like, t- like touching something. Right. 
And the reason why grounding is so important is because our mind is racing. We're getting panicked. We're thinking about death. We're thinking about uh, this isn't going to stop how uncomfortable we are. Like we're thinking about where we're going to end up. We're thinking about all these things. The one thing we're not thinking about is all of our surroundings. So when you talk about grounding, it's, it's about being present. It's about bringing ourselves in, reining all this in, looking at our surroundings, getting our mind off of the sensations of our body. It's also sort of about just kind of being able to handle being in discomfort and still channeling our focus to outside of ourselves, which is a super tough thing. It's a, it's so hard to do, but once you do it and and the, the important thing to do. So people, the avoidance thing is such an important key because no matter what you're doing, say you're at the grocery store and you're starting to have a panic attack. What's your, your initial reaction is going to be like, all right, I got to get out of here and get somewhere private, or I need to get in my car and shit. Yeah. Do not retreat because once you do that, you signal to your brain oh, you're right. This is a dangerous scenario. And then your brain's going to check in on everything that's going on. Oh, I'm at the the grocery store. Now the deli is dangerous or whatever it is. So you have to never retreat. I'm, I'm at the store. I'm, I'm having a panic attack. I, I, am I going to run out of there? No, because no one knows you're having a panic attack except for you. It feels like you can't do it, but you can, and you have to, because the only way out is through. A lot of what we're describing here sounds like trauma responses almost mm-hmm. because there's that part of the brain, uh, the hip, what is it like that hippocampus piece that has like that stored memory yep. uh, that associates experiences with memories. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's bringing us back there. So it's anything that resembles this, this moment is like danger, danger, danger. And that That's piece, that hippocampus is in, is in the primitive parts of your, it's part of the limbic system, which is more primitive parts of your brain. So you may not even be aware of the memories that your brain is storing for you. Yeah, It's storing memories to, for, to keep you safe. And when it senses something that it's seeing that's dangerous and, and as uh, the longer you let panic disorder go on, the more everything becomes dangerous. So, which is like, and that's terrible because then you're going to have a panic attack all the time. Sooner or later, you got to face them down. Sooner or later, you have to. You know, when we're describing the grounding and the, you know, the looking at your surroundings, have you ever stubbed your toe? Hell yeah. Yeah. And it's like stinging and it's lingering. And all you're doing is you just hyper-focus on it Mm -hmm. and it makes it so much worse. You ever, like, when you do it, I I mean, I do, I'm I'm clumsy. I stub my toe and random stuff like that always not at all actually but like just random like, like banging into things like i literally do it like all the time um so when i do it though like i do sometimes try to like not think about it just to like i don't know it's like this weird thing i have like the, almost like this outer body experience when i do that mm-hmm. where if i don't think of, like i challenge myself to not think about that pain because it just feels so strong and intense in that that brief moment, and it kind of works. Yeah, like if you don't think about it, you kind of don't experience the whatever that whole experience of being hurt is. Uh, it just kind of like goes away briefly. That's reminding me so much of like one time I got this free training session from like a trainer or whatever. And I was doing like some kind of like ridiculous amount of squats and it was killing my legs so bad. And he kept saying, put the pain in your core, put the pain in your core. And I was like, what the, 
like, what are you talking about? But the more I think about it and the more like, you know, as time has gone on and I do have like, you know, if I'm lifting for a certain, like my arms or something like whatever, I do kind of notice that you can kind of choose to spread that pain around your body. And it could be the same thing with like, like you're talking about with your toe or panic. And that's what the the breathing is. It's like focusing, taking, it's shifting the focus essentially. Yes. It's yeah, you're right. Cause it has literally nothing to do with where the pain's located or any of those physiological thing. It's mental. It's about where am I put, where am I going to focus? What part of my body am I going to focus on? Or am I going to focus on something outside of my body? And when we do that, our brain is so, is pretty powerful that it can actually like lessen the intensity of whatever it is that we're feeling. So you're t- now we're starting to talk about something that's a little more, um, I know, wishy-washy, some people might say, and we've talked about it in past episodes, but it's not so much what you do when you have a panic attack that's going to be important. It's what you're practicing in between panic attacks. Like, are you, are you practicing like these deep breaths where you're breathing in for a few seconds and then you're making sure you're breathing out? a little bit longer. Some people say double, but as long as your exhale is longer than your inhale, practicing that, practicing mindfulness and being able to, I mean, you, you don't have to listen to us for that. Like go on YouTube, go on calm, go on. Um, I don't know what other, any of these other apps, there's a million of them for mindfulness, but yeah, headspace, just, just practice that. And I'm telling you what, like, if you give that, you'll almost fall. That'll be an automatic response where you fall right into that breathing. Oh, I'm starting to have a panic attack. Let me, let me do this breathing. And you'll realize, wow, this does really play a role because there's certain things that you can do. And that inhale in your nose and exhale longer, that engages your parasympathetic nervous system. So you could still think you're having a panic attack, but your sympathetic nervous system's already engaged. And you know that you've done the things that you have to do to make this panic stop. And now you just have to get your mind in the right place. You have to, you have to know the outcome. Like we talked about before, 0% of the time, are you going to die from it? Ride it out. And in the end, it's just going to get easier and easier and easier. There's a lot of the common, time? common themes that yeah. we talk about uh, with, with different, and that's kind of goes back to, you know, this idea that like so many of the symptoms that we experience are, you know, within a lot of other, mental health conditions. So opposite action, like I said, we've mentioned that in depression, we've mentioned it, I think in anxiety. Now we're mentioning it here. Uh, there's so much of this, of like this, these things that can be helpful that apply to so many different things. But I think that with panic attacks, that riding the wave part is present in, you know, in that. And with, I think we talked about it within trauma and there's other things that we haven't gotten to that we're, we would talk about that riding the wave. That's such an important piece of this. Mm-hmm. Cause like you, it's like you said, you can't avoid the discomfort. Like the panic attacks do need to just happen for people. They, they have to learn how to accept that I am going to feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. for this period of time, but I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. Your your body has to feel that terror. It has yeah. to feel that in order to get that that relief right after. And if you you do that thing like I was doing with the meds, you never allow yourself to get to that point. You're robbing your body of the idea that this panic will end. And the 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 meds steal that from you. And I'll tell you another thing about the meds. They don't shorten the the panic attacks by much. Because of uh, your average panic attack, if you let it ride out and you're not trying to push, you're not trying to resist it because that's going to lengthen it, right? If you try to resist that panic, it's going to, it's going to make it longer and longer and longer. But if you let that thing come and you welcome it and you want to get to the worst of it so you can get to the other side of it, 
and and you you that's your new mindset those those benzos are only saving you what a, a few minutes of pain for what just to keep you in that sense of almost panic forever and to have you relying on this little thing and and it's so much more rewarding to know that you've overcome something on your own and you can be out in the world and have it happen to you and you can get over it and you don't yeah. need to make sure that those pills are jingling in your pocket. It's a terrible feeling. I was just thinking about, and I, I know you've had some experience working with people with panic attacks as well, aside from having your own. Mm. Uh, I, I just wanted to give two quick ones. My When we were in grad school, we had to do a thing where we were you know, videotaped and we had a student actually, it was even before that it was like our very first time. And I forget what exactly we had to do if we just recorded it audio or something, but my patient drops on me that she just had a panic attack in her while she was driving and she came out of nowhere. I mean, I'm super green. I know nothing. And I think I, we had talked about it maybe in a class about kind of like, don't push it away. So I, you know, I dropped that line and I'm like, I hope that works. Cause I literally have no idea what to tell this girl. Yeah. Uh, Cause I just, I didn't have enough experience with it yet and hadn't really talked to enough people who had had them and it actually worked. And I was like, Oh, thank God. I was so relieved, but it was like that moment where I was like, I really, really hope this works. Cause this person is probably going to be like thrown off of ther- therapy forever. If I just tell her like something that's so false. Look, it's, it's almost obvious, but you know, because you, you know, Dave, honestly, the reality is, and we both know that there are a lot of therapists are just going to, aren't going to make you do that hard work. And if you don't do the work, yeah, it's, it's just, and you got to remember too, there, this is like, it's a three, at least a three pronged thing. So you got your, your thoughts. Thoughts are definitely going to be a part of it. The, the, the physiology, those feelings, and then however you react to it. So that that's like causing that those reaction to those three are causing this, this fire that's panic. And if you can get rid of one of them and most probably the easiest one to kind of work on would be the thoughts. If you can change your thoughts and change your, and start to understand that I need this panic attack to come so I can, I can get through this disorder. Then you're kind of removing one of those necessary ingredients for that fire to burn. You're like taking the oxygen out of it. Right. Sure. If you can, if you can know that, okay, my new thought is I'm not afraid of the panic attack because I know every time I've had one, I've survived it. Every time I've had one, nothing bad happened to me. Yes. I felt like I was going to die, but I didn't. And I won't having that information is so helpful. And, and it's not even something that we can just say, it's something that someone has to trust us. And that's the real part of therapy. That's hard. You have to be able to trust someone enough to, to allow yourself to feel that real fear and, and go through it and come out the other side. Cause once you do the next one, it doesn't have the same power. And the one after that, nope. And then you can feel them come on and you can start that breathing or even have that frame of mind. Well, I guess I'm gonna have a panic attack and that's okay. Because the more of these I have, the better I get at panic. I think that's important things to know. I think that's very important to know. I think that we're touching on another important piece for getting help with panic attacks. I think the therapy is super helpful for people with panic attacks. I think it's part of the process for, you know, for how you handle it. I do think that people need a sounding board. People need somebody that's going to help them do some of that, you know, dirty work with them getting into like the under the core or the underlying issues, 
discussing them, talking them through, reframing things that you have in your mind that are kind of distorted from what they, you know, how they really should be. There's so many ways that you can work on things in therapy. It doesn't have to be like you go in and you're getting homework assignments. Like some people just dread that. And I totally get it. Like I wouldn't want to necessarily go. Sometimes you just want to talk. Sometimes you need like talk therapy, I think has value. I I know that that's not like everybody's cup of tea, but I think talk therapy has value for people. That's just what they want. I think it has incredible value. Yeah. yeah, And I can totally see the side of like the people that want like to do real, like they want worksheets and uh-huh. books yeah. and like, that's cool for some people too. But I, I think that like, you just have to find a therapist that's willing to just meet you where you're at and do the style you want to do. But I do think it's so important for panic attacks because so many people walk, like walk around the world, not even knowing what is going on with them sometimes. Like actually, you know, I was thinking about it. The person I was just describing that student, one of the more like uh, validating things when we were talking about what she went through was I, was informing her that she had a panic attack. Mm. She didn't even know. She right. was describing this thing that happened. And I was like, yeah. She's like, I think it's a panic attack. I was like, yeah, I would say. And I was like, and then she, the thing that she said that would like solidified it. She was like, and I've just been super afraid that I'm going to have another one. Mm, that's it. And I'm like, there you go. There you go. Yeah. That, that's like one of the biggest signifiers is that fear afterwards of when the next one's going to happen. Right. Panic. panic. It's, the, it's, it's terrifying. And I'll tell you, you know, things, that are sort of preventative in from my point of view. And, and, you know, everyone says exercise and I know that people are gonna be like, Oh my God, exercise always oh, real. It really is exercise good for you. But I, I think what they're missing when it comes to panic disorder is exercise mimics the symptoms, right? Like you, you can run around the block or maybe you go, maybe you, even if you sprint and then you stop and your heart's racing and you're sweating and all these things are happening, you're having all the symptoms of panic attack, except your frame of mind is different. Your thoughts are different. You're having every one of the symptoms, but you're not scared. Why? Because it makes sense. So you have to make that panic attack make sense to you. Why is this panic attack happening? Oh, because my brain perceives something as dangerous that I don't even know about, but there's nothing here and I'm safe. And now it's time to start doing the things that I know how to do. I need to do the breathing. I need to stimulate the vagus nerve. There's even this thing called a dive reflex. If you stick your face in cold water, engages yeah. parasympathetic nervous system immediately. That's that's oh, so I do the I do the ice cubes in the hands, squeezing the ice cubes. Sure. Anything cold, right? Yeah. Squeeze those ice cubes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. dunking your face in water is really a committing. I mean, you can't really do that work. And I yeah, mean, I mean that. sometimes it's just not accessible, but an ice cube might be, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. And you just be like, my hands are hot. <laughs> but that's that's that physiological piece. That's that biological piece, right? That's changing the temperature of your body. And then that's creating reactions within the body, right? Absolutely. You're, it's exactly. And history, like we said, is key. How many times has this panic attack hurt you? R- really? Not, not the things that you've done because of panic, not the, the behaviors that you've done. Like maybe you started drinking, maybe you started, maybe you, you, you've avoided so much that you're not leaving your house. All that stuff is causing damage. But what has the panic attack itself done to you? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. It's completely harmless. That's 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 hard to know. So, Greg, I, th- I think we're about wrapped up with panic attacks, but I, I just want to just kind of like wrap this episode up. I think like the young, the the important message is that nobody's ever died from a panic attack is what mm-hmm. you're telling. 
That's right. Now, I'm not saying no one's ever had a panic attack and did something that caused them to die. But if they just... Ah, he's covering his bases, folks. Yeah, exactly. For, you know, I don't want to get sued. But I would say no from the from just the physiological things. If you stand your ground and face it, you will never die from a panic attack ever. Obviously, it's those are these these. This is what's designed to happen to protect you. Now, just because you don't see the danger doesn't mean your unconscious mind, which is exponentially bigger than your conscious mind, didn't see something that it perceives as dangerous. And it's trying to save your life. So you can say to your brain, hey, thanks. But it looks like everything is clear over here. That's how you can handle it. Sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up. That was a pretty in-depth episode about panic attacks. So hopefully people will find some value in that information. I hope so. And I hope I didn't um, put myself out there too much. Didn't expect to do that. Thanks, Dave. Greg, one of the one of the symptoms of panic attacks is embarrassment, and you've been living with this embarrassment forever. <laughs> so the only way to to get over this panic attack about embarrassment is to face your embarrassment and put hey, it look, out there. If, if I can, if I can help one person, that's not what they always say. I think that's genuine, and I think that's true. So you just I, you just lived your truth right there, Greg. Smoke some cigarettes, It'll be fine. <laughs> All right, everybody, stay smoke free. We will talk to you guys. Next week, have a great day, and God bless. God bless Easter Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>